Welcome to the Personalized Medicine Podcast. This is the place where scientists, clinicians, and entrepreneurs discuss the progress of this rapidly developing field. I am your host, Alexander Yahensky. Let's start. Three, two, one, and we are live. Welcome to the next episode of the Personalized Medicine Podcast. In the previous episodes, we have talked about how next-generation sequencing and mass spectrometry revolutionized discovery and validation of DNA and protein biomarkers. But there is another class of biomolecules that are as vital for our health and well-being. And those molecules are glycans. And we are very lucky to host today on our podcast one of the world's leading experts on this topic, Professor Gordon Lautz. Gordon is the Professor of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology at the University of Zagreb. He is also a founder and CEO of Genus, one of the few companies in the world capable of high-throughput glycan analysis. He co-authored nearly 200 research papers on glycan biochemistry. Most notably, his laboratory performed the first large-scale studies of the human plasma glycom and human IgG glycom. Gordon is also one of the initiators and co-directors of Human Glycom Project, a multinational research initiative aiming to define the structures and functions of human glycoconjugates. I hope to learn a lot from this conversation. So, Gordon, it is a great pleasure to welcome you on the podcast. It's a great pleasure to be here and thank you for inviting me. Gordon, we have met at the Clinical Mass Spectrometry Conference in Salzburg last September, where you were given a keynote lecture. And I remember you have started your talk with a quote from GSK Vice President Alan Roses, who said, our drugs do not work on most patients. When the key executive of one of the largest pharma companies says something like that, that is alarming, but at the same time, fascinating from the scientific point of view. Why is that the case? And why drugs do not work as they should in most patients? So it was something like 15 years ago, and it really uh, sent some kind of a shockwaves in, in the scientific community because um, people were trying to ignore the fact that actually the majority of drugs do not work in the majority of people. But we should look at it from the bright side. And this is that all drugs work in something like 20 to maybe 50% of people. So we just have to be able to know to whom we should give the right drug. Because currently the principle is that you go, you're sick, you go to hospital or your um, physician, and then you get some drug. And most of the times that drug does not help you. Then you get another one, which does not help. Then you get a third one and the third one helps. So most of people actually lose a lot of time, get a lot of wrong drugs, actually get side directions from the drugs because they're, the physician at, at the beginning does not know which drug will work. So the idea of precision medicine or personalized medicine is that one day we will have a panel of biomarkers. We will do the biomarkers first and then decide which drug will work because we have a big problem with diseases today because we call the diseases based on symptoms and on a location. 
And most of those diseases have been discovered 100, 150, 200 years ago. And uh, the names we currently use are just not adequate for the molecular mechanisms which are underlying diseases. So we have the same molecular mechanism in different diseases, like all chronic inflammatory diseases would have a chronic inflammation in the background, and they will just appear in the different organs. While in the same time, something which we call a single disease, like a diabetes, has a number of different molecular mechanisms which lead to the loss of control of the glucose level. And the drugs, they don't act on disease names. Drugs act on the molecular pathways. So before we can give a proper drug, we have to know which molecular pathways are affected in a given disease. And this is what the field of medicine, modern medicine, is actually now trying to achieve. Find the biomarkers which will stratify patients and enable precision medicine meaning giving the right drug to the right person at the right moment. Great. Yeah, this is exactly the promise of personalized medicine, that we don't look, as you said, at the symptoms of the disease, but rather at its molecular origin. And I know that you have been fascinated with glycans as biomarkers of many diseases. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about your story, how you got fascinated with glycans in the first place, and uh, why do you find them exciting? Yeah, so I, I work on glycans for over 25 years now. And the fascinating thing about glycans is that they're not defined by genes because all the proteins are just the translation of our genome. And actually, majority of people don't sequence proteins now. You just sequence the gene and then translate it into the protein. But the problem with the genes and the proteins is that they are same for our entire life, meaning we got our genome at the moment of conception and we will have the same genome until we die. And actually, it's between 20 to up to mostly 50% of um, uh, variants in complex diseases, which can be explained by genetics. So our genes determine actually a small fraction of, our, um, of diseases we are going to have in our lifetime. And the majority of um, difference between people, whether they're going to get ill or not, is actually not genetic. It's lifestyle. It's what we eat, what we do, what we drink, even what we think is deciding whether we are going to get ill or not. And the best example for that are um, identical twins. They have every single letter in the genome identical, but actually rarely they develop the same diseases as they uh, grow old. And something which is very similar in this respect are the glycans. Because practically every protein is glycosylated. That's not every, but the vast majority of proteins is, are glycosylated. And glycans are part of their structure. And personally, I believe that the invention of glycosylation enabled development of multicellular organisms, that we needed another layer of complexity where the structure would not be determined by an individual gene, but it will be the network of gene, the interaction of these genes with the environment, and of course with the epigenetics, which is memory of past environment, which will then converge into a single chemical structure, which is the glycoprotein. So glycoproteins are something what we can actually change. For example, 
IgG, which we have now, is different from IgG, which we had 10 or 15 years ago, because the glycans are different. When we are young, most of glycans we have on our IgG would be anti-inflammatory. They will be suppressing inflammation. But as we are getting older, glycosylation of IgG changes, and we have more and more pro-inflammatory glycans. And IgG is losing the capacity to suppress inflammation. And as older people have more pro-inflammatory glycans, they have higher levels of um, uh, low-grade chronic inflammation. And this actually could be one of the drivers of aging. And it's actually glycosylation of IgG which is doing it. We still do not know how and why this happens. But we know that with age, our IgG glycans change. And this is something which cannot happen with genes or proteins. So glycans have much higher potential for patient certification in a personalized medicine because they're not giving one picture for a person, which is the same for entire life, but it's also integrating this genetic component, environmental component, and the epigenetic component. Great. That is very interesting. Especially what you have said about the glycosylation of our antibodies, IgGs. Essentially, we can use that protein glycosylation as a marker of aging or inflammatory response. It's really fascinating. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about how can you measure glycans technically. Um, we have quite a broad audience, but I think many of them would be interested in hearing how you do it. So what kind of techniques do you use to assess those profiles of glycosylated proteins? Reliable quantitative, high-throughput analysis of glycans is actually very demanding. There are only few labs in the world which can do glycan analysis at high throughput because the problem is that glycan analysis requires many chemical steps which are not so easy to do in a consistent and reliable manner. I would compare the technology we use today to some kind of genetic technologies in the early 90s. So in the early 90s, analysis of genes, sequencing was unreliable, gene modification was unreliable, all the kits were really unreliable. So early 90s was not an easy time for a molecular biologist. In the glycobiology, we are in a similar situation. Our methods are not fully reliable. For example, we recently had a large comparison of over 100 labs for IgG glycosylation profiling, either by MASPEC or HPLC, I can come back later to the technology. And the results are actually scary because different labs report different results. So one of the biggest problems in glycobiology today is the, the low number of high-quality glyconalysis labs. So what kind of technology we can use to analyze the glycons? There are two approaches. First, we can just release glycans, cut them off the protein backbone, put some kind of dye of them, either the fluorescent dye, usually it's a fluorescent dye, and then we can separate individual structures either chromatographically or by capillary electrophoresis. So both of these techniques are currently routinely used for glycosylation profiling. Take a protein, cut off glycans, put the label, separate by HPLC, or by uh, CE. And the advantage of these two methods is that they are highly quantitative. 
So the, the, the amount of fluorescence equals the number of molecules, and you can reliably compare the, the numbers. The problem is that before you actually put it in the machine, where you get the radiochromatographic or electrophoretic peaks, you have a number of cleanup steps, which are based on some kind of uh, absorbance of glycans to different beads. And this absorbance is not exactly the same for all different glycans, more or less hydrophobic glycans. So glycan preparation before analytical step actually can lead to, to the bias and different labs can have a very different results based on the procedure they use to prepare glycans. Alternative approach for glycan analysis is to use mass spec, either by simple moldy or some kind of uh, LCMS, meaning chromatography linked to the mass spectrometry. And these methods are way more reliable in determining the exact structure, so you know exactly what are you looking at. But the quantification is less reliable, and in particular for moldy, moldy has a larger measurement error than, than LCMS or uh, definitely more than, for example, HPLC. So methods are complementary. People are still using a number of different methods to see the whole picture. Also because the mass spec only gives you the, the composition and you are unable to, or it's very difficult to determine, for example, the, the linkage or some kind of uh, isomeric structures to see which one you actually have. While, while in HPLC and CE, once you have a peak, you don't really know what it is. So you have to somehow link it again to the mass spec to see what is the structure of a molecule. So yes, technically it's really, it's not easy to analyze the glycans. Right. So from what I understand, the problem is that it is very difficult to acquire reliable, high quality data on glycans today, just because it is so technically complex and demanding. I know that in the recent years, you have started the Human Glycan Project. So I really would like to know what was your motivation behind doing it and how does this project help different labs which are working in the field to collaborate with each other? So one of the key missions of the Human Glycan Project is that we want to enable people who are non-glyco specialists to start to think about glycans. Meaning, uh, if somebody is a clinician or a scientist working in a different discipline, often he or she would ignore glycans. They would just pretend glycans do not exist. So they will miss a big part of information about their samples or patients. So what we are trying to do, we are trying to link clinician, other scientists with the glyco people, enable them to collaborate and to work together to include glycans in many different stories. For example, we have a big initiative which is supported by um, three companies, Waters, New England Biolabs, and Genos, which are enable people to do some kind of a pilot studies completely for free. They can send us a couple of hundred samples. We do the glycan profiling, give them preliminary data, so they can actually apply for some future grants using this preliminary data. So we are really trying to um, go to the outside world and tell people there are glycans and you should look at glycans. In the same time, from within the glycan world or the human glycan project, 
We are trying to harmonize methods, to develop standards, to share standards, to enable people to, to make them easier for them to enter to the field and also start working glycans if they want to become a glycan analyst or something like that. Yeah, that is a very important mission. And I hope that the people who are listening to this podcast will contact you and will be interested in collaborative studies with you or other labs participating in the Human Glycan Project, because it is a really important field and people should definitely start looking more into it. Yes, the idea of Human Glycan Project is to start collaboration between uh, the Human Glycan Project and people interested in getting glycan data. So I encourage everybody to contact us either directly to the Human Glycan Project or they can also write directly to me and we'll see whether we can find a way how to collaborate. Perfect. We are doing this show for you and your feedback is very important to us. So if you have any suggestions or comments, would like us to cover a specific topic or recommend a person we should interview, please write us an email to team at personalizedmedicinemedia.com or you can just reach out to us on Twitter or LinkedIn. Just type in Personalized Medicine Podcast and you will find us there. To make sure that you won't miss the new episodes of our show, please subscribe to the newsletter at our website, personalizedmedicinemedia.com. It's one word, Personalized Medicine Media, spelled with Z as in American English. Our website is also the place where you can find show notes for each episode that include bios of our guests, links to their most notable work and projects, and follow-up reads on the topics we discuss during the episode. And now, let's get back to the interview. So, now I'd like to take a step back and look at the functional applications of glycan analysis. What can we actually learn about the human biology using glycans? You have already mentioned that glycan profiling of immunoglobulins can tell us a lot about the age or inflammation. But how can glycans affect our response to different therapies? I know that you have recently published a paper showing that the response of patients to their treatments with monoclonal antibodies depends on the glycosylation profile of their own antibodies. And this is something that is very interesting, perhaps even a little counterintuitive. Can you please tell our audience more about that study? Because it can be a, a very important uh, piece of knowledge for personalized medicine. How personal glycan profile can influence our response to treatments. So we are trying to understand how the fact that we are different in the way we glycosylate our glycoproteins and particularly also IgG, how this affects our um, disease risk, disease progression, or even response to therapy. So far, we analyzed over 100,000 people. We analyzed IgG glycom in something like 70 or 80,000 people. And these were not just any people. They were people from some of the best clinical and epidemiological cohorts we have in Europe and also some in the U.S. And um, I cannot say that we understand everything, but we definitely learned a lot. For example, we learned that most of people who have some kind of um, inflammatory disease, they will have glycans which are more pro-inflammatory than those which suppress inflammation. 
And of course, the question here is, is, is this something which is the consequence of a disease or is this something which is driving the disease? These questions are not easy, but we have some cohorts where we have samples collected up to a decade before people were diagnosed with the disease. And in some of those cases, like we have one paper on rheumatoid arthritis, where we clearly show that we see differences in IgG glycosylation even a decade before people actually get diagnosed. Also, we know that uh, this pro-inflammatory glycans, the glycans which kind of resemble accelerated aging, also highly correlate with um, cardiovascular disease risk. And actually in one cohort, this is still not published, but it's very close to being published. We, we see also that um, this associates with actual, actual events, meaning if you have uh, glycans which are more pro-inflammatory, something we call the old glycans, glycans of an old age, your risk okay, of actually having a heart attack or stroke will be higher. And in one very recent paper, though this part was uh, done on mice, and it was published in circulation in October 2019, we showed that actually glycans, IgG glycans without salic acid, are driving high blood pressure in mice. And glycans with salic acid, meaning those glycans which we usually associate with the, with the young people, with the young IgG glycum, they're actually protecting mice from developing high blood pressure. In our population cohorts, we see a similar thing. So people with a hypertension and prehypertension will have glycans which are more pro-inflammatory, more uh, they will have less galactose, less salic acid in their end, while the people who do not have high blood pressure will have more galactose and more salic acid, meaning these glycans we usually refer as as kind of young glycans, glycans of young people. As you said, IgGs, or rather the glycosylation profile of IgGs can be an important factor for the effective response to different treatments. So monoclonal antibodies are becoming more and more popular for treating cancer, inflammatory diseases, and many other disorders. So do you see the future in the customized monoclonal antibody design with a specific glycan tree attached to it that would match a specific patient? Do we need like a major miracle for that to happen, or we can go for it in a foreseeable future? So something what is definitely happening today, and this is that glycoengineered antibodies are coming to the market. But they're all generally glycoengineered in just one direction, to have less core fucose, because core fucose is a safety switch which prevents ADCC. But um, people are different, and both depending on the the glycom, the IgG glycom of the host, but also the glycosylation of the FC receptor, people might react differently to differently glycosylated IgG. At the moment, this is still future. Even we haven't published anything on it. We did several population cohorts. We are currently wrapping up with the publication, so I cannot tell too much at the moment. But definitely it seems that the patient's IgG does have an effect on uh, success of IgG 
of the different monoclonals, and also that uh, some monoclonals actually change IgG glycosylation of a patient. So this will go in both directions, and I think this is something definitely worth studying in the future. Perfect. So what we know now is that patients respond to therapies differently depending on their own glycans. So what does it mean for the development of new drugs, specifically for the stratification of patients on clinical trials? So one problem with the development of drug is that we now know that drugs do not work in everybody. And this is always a risk when you are having a relatively small clinical trial that the, the number of people where the drug will actually help you may not be sufficient to drive the entire cohort over the threshold of statistical significance. So something which glycans can definitely do, they can enable reliable patient stratification because the glycan profile is still quite heritable because even there is no direct genetic template, the heritability of a glycan composition is between 50 and 80%. So you can do a stable patient stratification based on their glycan. And then if you have a clinical trial where the people are stratified by their glycan, you can have a subgroup of patients where actually the drug works. And this could, for example, save some of the new drugs because they don't work in everybody, but they, they work in one third or one half of a patients, which we define by the glycan profile. And are you aware of any clinical trials that are using glycans as their biomarker of stratification right now? So I'm not aware of it. Maybe this is happening, but this is not very probable because there are not so many high throughput laboratories which can do it. And I know that none of them which we currently have is doing it. So I think this is still not something people are planning at the moment of setting up a clinical trial. I understand. Yeah, hopefully we will anyway be learning more about specific glycans or specific glycoproteins that can be biomarkers of different diseases. So what has to be done to transfer those glycan biomarkers from research to clinics? It seems like a huge challenge on both technological and regulatory fronts. So there are some first examples of glycan tests being put on the market like a glycoliver test in, in UK and, and also some uh, glycan test for, uh, uh, I think it's a stomach cancer, which was approved by the NIH. And the key problem is that the main technologies which are being used for glycan profiling in the research are not routine technologies which are being used in a clinical laboratories. And for a test to become a routine diagnostic test, it has to be conducted in a routine diagnostic lab. So we have this big technological problem because, you know, instrument producers are not making instruments for that because there is no market and you cannot create a market because there are no instruments. So this is something what we are also, one of the tasks of the Human Glycon Project is to talk to the instrument manufacturers and tell them, you know, there is an emerging market. You have to think about the, getting your machines cleared for in vitro diagnostics, then we can also put our glycan test on those instruments. So there is one option of, of moving to mass spec because there are more 
clinical aspects now available because of the proteomics and metabolomics. So maybe we'll also move glycomics more toward the aspects, but also the aspects are still not so widespread. So it's still now it's a moment where technology still has to be decided. Right. I know that you are developing an in vitro glycan test. It is not a clinical diagnostics test, but it is still a very interesting assay called glycan age test. So what exactly is it and uh, what can it tell? So the glycan age test is actually our way of trying to avoid having problems with um, with the in vitro diagnostics because the glycan age test has been registered as a test of biological age and as a test of biological age we got uh, opinion of the European Medicine Agency that this is not regulated from their end so we can sell it as a general test it doesn't have to be regulated as in vitro diagnostic test but in principle the glycan age test is measuring IgG glycosylation which we know is changing with age so if people are young they have glycans which are more uh, suppressing inflammation while the old people have glycans which are more pro-inflammatory and then by estimating the biological age of the IgG glycom or ex- expanding it to the person so biological age of a person we actually quantify how pro-inflammatory or how many of these bad glycans you have compared to how immuno uh, uh, inflammation suppressing glycans you have or something we call the good glycans so the, the idea of the glycan age test is that we can give both uh, researchers but also the general public a tool in which they can measure what ha- has actually happened to their igg glycom with time because people do not age according to their chronological age and we also see it we have one big paper which is about to be published but it was also posted on a bioarchive where we compared people in different countries we have 27 different populations around the world and people in a low income countries who have a low expected lifespan their igg glycom moves to the old age very quickly meaning they would at age of 40 look like a person in a developed country at the age of 60 but also they would die before the age of 45 while in developed countries people would live until their late 70s or 80s so something what we see is that by measuring this glycan age or by measuring the glycosylation of igg we can see kind of how much of our lifespan we already passed meaning are we biologically old and we are prone to diseases or we are still doing well and despite the fact that our chronological ages might be quite high our biological age could still be good perfect yeah it is a nice way to assess your own fitness goran what i would also like to know is this glycan profile dynamic how fast can it change and um, what can really influence it so it is dynamic but it's not very quick in responding so in homeostatic conditions it is moving slowly meaning more or less in a year you become year older but in case of some kind of disease development it can move relatively quickly 
Also, uh, from our cohort studies, we know that, for example, the, the obesity is one of the main drivers. So if people gain weight, their glycans become more pro-inflammatory. If they lose weight, their glycans tend to become less pro-inflammatory. So you can actually become younger. And we have some studies, for example, we have some people who did uh, bariatric surgery and after losing 15, 20 kilos, their glycan age decreased for 30 years within six months. And from our cohort studies, we know that, for example, we have the same people taken 10 years apart. Some of them would become 20 years older in these 10 years. The other people will become 10 years younger in those 10 years. But from cohort studies, it's very hard to know, you know, what actually happened. So now we are doing a number of intervention studies where people are changing diets, changing their exercise patterns, and then we look what happens to the IgG glycome. So this is definitely something you can change. Perfect. It sounds like IgG glycosylation can correlate very well with a lot of metabolic diseases like diabetes or perhaps even neurodegenerative disorders because they are related to inflammation. So what do we know so far about the link between glycosylation of plasma proteins and those diseases? So we published a number of large studies, meaning thousands of patients, and we do see that in majority of inflammatory diseases, including the diabetes, which also has inflammatory component, but also some neurodegenerative diseases, we do see a lot of IgG glycosylation changes. We, for most of those diseases, we do not know whether the change comes with the disease or the change comes first and then drives the disease. We know this for, um, for, um, Aromatic arthritis, we know it comes first. We also know that uh, with a um, decrease in activity and increase in activity of a disease, it also changes. And we also know that for cardiovascular diseases, glycan change comes before the disease. So it's part of the disease mechanism and it's not just a consequence of a disease. But many different diseases have similar changes in IgG glycan. So it's very hard to use glycans as a biomarker to diagnose the disease, but they can probably use as a biomarkers to stratify patients with the disease. And what we have, for example, shown for in case of um, inflammatory bowel disease, that the glycans can actually predict disease progression and a need for surgery. So there is information in, in the patient's glycome about how will disease progress. Yeah, as you said, glycans can have some prognostic value for cardiovascular diseases. And if you can use that knowledge to stratify patients on clinical trials to understand how well they would respond to a specific drug under specific conditions, that can bring the entire personalized medicine one step forward. So now I have a slightly unusual question. If you had the biggest billboard in the world, metaphorically speaking, and you could write on it a message that every researcher, clinician, or regulator in the medical space could see, what that message would be? It would be very simple. It would be, see the entire picture, include glycans in your study. Because 
if people are ignoring glycans, they're missing the big part of the picture and they cannot explain that they cannot understand what is actually going on because they're missing big part of the picture. Perfect. That's great. Then in the end, I would like to take the outlook to the future with you. What is going to happen in the personalized medicine, specifically having glycans in mind? What do you think would be the first use case uh, of using glycans either as a patient stratifier on the clinical trials or as a real clinical diagnostic test? And um, what is the potential of glycan biology to change medicine in the next 10, 15 or 20 years? Usually research has to come first. So I think the big part of research is still missing glycans. There are more and more researchers which include glycans in their studies, and but this still has to expand. I think over 90% of research being done in the clinical field still ignores glycans. So there is a big, big task to, to achieve, to get to include glycans in all those studies. Also, there's a huge amount of biobank samples where glycans haven't been analyzed. So I think one of the important thing is let's get glycan information in things like a UK biobank, all of us research project, and so on. And then when this information is there, then clinicians can start using it. I think before coming into the diagnostic field, I think glycans will come to market as uh, prognostic markers. Glycan age would be one of them because we now definitely know it is actually a known risk factor for cardiovascular diseases. We have a big paper coming out soon showing that also glycans pre can predict diabetes, at least one subtype of diabetes. So I think people will start doing it either as individuals or as researchers just to include this information and help them make some kind of a future decisions. So I think definitely the field is going to grow. It's going to grow quickly and we just have to be there and look what is happening. Fantastic. So the future looks exciting, but there is also a lot of work to be done. Gordon, it was a great pleasure to have you today on this podcast to hear your vision on personalized medicine, glycans, and how they can work together and what has to be done to translate that glycan research to clinics. And before I let you go, I would like you to let our audience know where can they find you online. So the best contact point would be the Human Glycom project. The address is humanglycom.org. And from there... I think all information is available there, actually. Perfect. Gordon, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you again for the invitation. Thank you so much for being with us today on the Personalized Medicine Podcast. If you like this show and know someone who would enjoy it too, please share this podcast with them. The easiest way to do it is on LinkedIn or Twitter, where you can find us just by typing in Personalized Medicine Podcast. And don't miss the next episode yourself. For this, subscribe to the newsletter on our website, personalizedmedicinemedia.com. We also publish the show notes for each episode there that include our guests' bios, links to their most notable work, and recommendations for additional reads on the topic of the episode. 
And if you have any feedback or would like to suggest us a guest for the show, write us an email to team at personalizedmedicinemedia.com or reach out to us on Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a great day and until next time.